Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. 
Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Listener Success Story. This is actually going to wrap up our deer season and our deer content and our, our, actually our last listener success story of the year. So uh, we've got a really good one for you. Uh, we've got uh, Mr. Matt Gant coming on from Alabama. Uh, who had some success this year, knocking down some really nice deer on some public land. And, man, we're going to dive all in about it. Andrew, unfortunately, couldn't make it today. Had some stuff pop up. But, uh, Matt, it's going to be you and me tonight, brother. But I appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, maybe to kick us off, dude, how long have you been a listener of the show? Um, I've been listening to y'all show for probably about two years. Um, I started out um, – I guess the first episode was recommended to me was uh, Tyler Black um, talking about hunting the bluff gaps. And uh, after listening to it, I just kind of subscribed to the podcast and I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't stopped listening since. Awesome, dude. And so Tyler Black was one of the first episodes that, uh, again, you listened to that you were kind of recommended to check out. Uh, what was so interesting just about Tyler Black's episode that kind of got you interested in checking out the show, but also just seeing like what else is out there when it comes to, uh, I guess like the whole podcast thing. Well, when I first, when I first started hunting, um, my dad, and I, uh, my dad got me into hunting when I was really young. I can remember curling up on a, on the bottom of a lock on, on the platform, and sleeping when I was like five and I would be wadded up in a ball asleep in a cedar tree or underneath the cedar tree. And my dad would be in, be sitting in a lock on hunting. And, uh, we have hunted in hunting clubs my whole life. And then we really got out of hunting clubs. Um, just didn't really have time. Uh, I went off to college and, uh, and then when I came home, uh, I started hunting more public land. Um, and was, man, I was on the struggle bus. Um, I tried some old, old stuff that we used to do. Um, just a lot of stuff wasn't working. Um, went to some older places, some places that we'd had history with. Um, but then when you guys started talking, I heard Tyler Black's episode talking about getting, getting in the bluff gaps and, uh, you know, and, and hunting the wind um, and kind of, I think he called it a vortex at the top of the mountain. Um, it just, it piqued my interest and I was like, well, crap, I'm going to keep listening to them just to, you know, see if I can learn something, pick up something that I can, I can hunt with. And so that's what, you know, that's what's what really got my attention. So for any of the listeners out there that might not know what a bluff gap is, Matt, would you describe to listeners, especially maybe someone that doesn't live in kind of like the country that you hunt in, uh, what just what a bluff gap is? Well, a lot of the mountains that we hunt, um, they'll be real flat on top, and there will just be certain areas that are, I guess, flat enough that a deer can walk down. Now. What the deer can walk up and down versus what you and I can walk up and down are two completely different things because there are some bluff gaps that I've watched deer walk down that if you stand on it and put your hand out in front of you, you can touch the ground. So you're standing straight up with your arm directly straight out in front of your chest and can touch the ground. And these deer will walk up and down that stuff. But it's the only place that they can get on top where it's flat versus off the side of the mountain so it's right on the edge of from flat 
and then transitioning into going down the mountain onto flatter benches and big oak flats and stuff like that. And they actually use it a lot for like escape routes. Very good. And it'll bike a lot of times a lot of times it'll be in between two rock faces. Um and it'll just be the one spot that they can actually go off the mountain. So it's it's one of the best funnels it seems like you can find, especially in these kind of areas. Um, because oh, absolutely. a lot of times they're not bedding and feeding on the exact same level. So they're constantly going up and down through those gaps, uh, you know, on those rock bluffs or just those terrain features that they've got to go through those gaps to be able to, you know, go down or come up and they can't just, you know, you know, rock climb and just go over all, all this, um, kind of rim rock and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but so right. Tyler Black's episode was very impactful for you. Uh, you know, what else or what other episodes have been impactful for you? I mean, you've been a listener for two years now or so. Uh, I know there's been a ton of episodes come out since then, but, you know, what were some of the episodes or some of the topics that you heard that you're like, okay, I can really apply this, you know, on some of this public land that you kind of transitioned to hunting a little bit later on in life? Well, uh, Glenn Solomon's episode, um, of course, everybody, I think, I don't think I've heard a listener success story yet or if, Maybe I just wasn't paying attention I, that I didn't hear it. Um, but I think everybody could apply that to, to their hunting. Um, and then I've heard y'all say things um, that have, have set off light bulbs, if you will, um, where uh, where the you look, you hunt for multiple reasons to be in one spot. Um, and you also want to find, uh, terrain features inside of cover, find the cover and then look for terrain features inside of that or just, just outside of it. Um, which is probably, that's probably the, the, one of the most impactful things is find the biggest, nastiest, terrible thicket you can come up with and hunt right on the edge of it in a terrain feature or on the escape routes. Um, that's, that's probably the number one tip that anybody could take from any of the episodes. Um, because those deer are going to live, live on those edges. Yeah, would you maybe explain uh, just a situation? Because I, I agree, uh, just the kind of topic of, you know, finding that thick cover and then finding some kind of et, uh, edge habitat or terrain feature on the edge inside that cover, just outside that cover that is going to funnel deer in and out of that area as they, you know, leave and, and travel. Uh, just in the kind of the areas that you hunt, is there any, like, specific kind of examples to kind of, you know, share with somebody of like, you know, what's an example kind of in the habitat that you hunt kind of in the, the Alabama mountains and everything else. Yeah. Um, I, I really like, especially like right now when there's not any acorns on the ground, um, those deer will get in, in the, the beech trees, um, and they'll eat the, the beech nuts off the ground. Um, if you can find a, a really big thicket of beech trees, that are not very tall, um, and, and by not very tall, I mean less than ten feet. They'll have they'll have uh, limbs and really thick leaves all the way to the to probably three to four feet off the ground. Um, if you can find a bunch of those, um, and I'm not, and when I say a bunch, I mean two or three acres. There's just eat up with them, 
and those deer will bed in that stuff and they feed in there and they feel safe in it because it's above their back but it's still low enough that it's you can't see underneath all of it um they feel safe in it and then there's plenty of food in there um and then find a terrain feature a bluff gap a big saddle um or even uh even where we're like the head of two haulers comes in and joins up together like a thermal hub mm-hmm. um where features come together just outside that that thicket of beech trees um when when you find that you're going to find deer sign um and that's one thing i look for a lot is the beech trees especially in the late season that is interesting see where we hunt there there's beech trees most of them are down low and low elevation but I've never seen enough of them to really, I could see like as a huge draw. Now I have found beech trees that had been dropping beech nuts, um, kind of, you know, mid season that deer were absolute hammering on, but I've never found thickets like that. But that's really interesting. Just kind of seeing what, or listening to you, you know, explain kind of specific ideas in these kind of areas, uh, that are relatable to like where you're at now, when it comes to some of the other things that you've kind of just picked up from the show, uh, that had been impactful for you. I mean, was there any other kind of guests or any specific episodes or or specific topics that were like, okay, yes, I could use this here. This is something that I can, you know, definitely kind of focus on and start applying, you know, in the areas that you hunt. Um, I, like a, a killing wind. Um, uh, I've heard several people talk about a just off wind. Um, and then when y'all did the two episodes, and I, I apologize, the gentleman's name has slipped my mind. Um, Mr. Travis Murray. He did the Travis Murray. Um, when he y'all did the episode with him on a killing wind. Um, when when he first started talking about it, I was completely confused. But then I realized <clears throat> that he was looking for what what he was doing was giving the deer what he thought was an advantage but then he backed just off of where that deer would be traveling where the deer could not smell him but he could still you know get a shot on the deer um and that's one thing um the six pointer that uh, that i shot with my bow uh that's that's exactly what was happening the wind switched on me so instead, right at daylight, so I crossed the saddle, went to the other side of the saddle that I was sitting near, and I found where the trails come off the saddle and climbed a tree 25 yards off that trail and used the wind, let the deer think that he had the advantage, and he walked right to me. Now, I've got to ask, is that the, is that the deer uh, that you actually sent us a video on from that hunt? It is. Okay, that yeah, that is an interesting scenario, and actually, that'd be something worth uh, you know anybody listening to the episode. You can actually go watch that hunt. Uh, by the way, just while we're thinking, while I'm thinking about what's the name of your YouTube channel? It's uh, Gantz Outside Life, um, and I will say it's not uh, it's not a professional production by any means. Um, I'm self filming everything, and. Uh, but I just I have fun doing it. I can bring it home and share it with my family, and uh, it's something for us to to watch later on. Of course. Well, it's just cool because the reason why you know I say that is 
you kind of applied those tactics and everything for that that second buck you killed, and you get the whole thing on camera so people can kind of see how that played out while we're talking about it on this episode, which is something interesting. So you can see the visual aspect yeah. of what we're talking about along with the audio aspect. Um, right. So, and if and and one thing too, if right after, as soon as I cut the camera on, the deer looks like it's going to pass to my right at about thirty yards. Um. But and if he would have kept walking that direction another twenty five yards, he would have walked directly into my wind. Um, but the trail that he was on brings him right in front of me. It comes up out of that holler, and instead of crossing in the low, the lowest point of that saddle where he was at to begin with, um, it actually the trail turns and comes up the hill to the high side of the saddle. And that's the trail he took right in front of me at about he crossed in front of me at about ten yards. Oh yeah. It's yeah, it's it's pretty intense. I ain't gonna lie, I was wondering, I was like, Man, why'd you shooting yet? Why'd you shoot? And then finally you shot it like, Okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah, the camera arm but for one, the camera arm was in the way and he was walking I knew if he if he stayed on that trail, I knew right where he was going. Well, so I ta- I had to take the chance. Well, kind of getting back to everything, you know, it seems like you just because the area that you hunt, there's like specific things that have been, you know, impactful for you from, you know, kind of finding that diversity, that thick cover along with those habitat terrain feature edges and habitat subtle features and stuff in these areas that can really funnel these deer. Uh, but also just kind of, you know, thinking outside the box when it comes to approaching this. By the way, how, how compared to like how you grew up hunting, compared to just how you've listened to like these other guests, has your mindset changed from like what you used to do, you know, five, 10 years ago compared to like what you're kind of focused on doing now? Absolutely. Um, I grew up when I, when I first started hunting, it was all hunting clubs. Um, my, me and my dad would hunt in hunting clubs. And, um, I mean, I've hunted since I was five. Now I'll say hunted, but more of, I got in a sleeping bag and slept at the foot of the tree and my dad hunted. Um, but, uh, but he took me, he took me out there and I, that's where I'm, I got my start. I love the outdoors. Um, it was just ingrained in me. Um, but then I kept going back to the exact same spots, the exact same spots, the exact same spots. And, and you guys talked about being mobile and not hunting the same place more than, you know, once or maybe twice. Um, and I figured out, I'm look, I'm going back to the same spots year after year after year, and I'm wearing them out. And since I've become, you know, a little bit more mobile, um, I'm hunting out of a saddle. Um, I've, uh, a mutual friend of ours actually bought my uh, lone wolf hand climber, and it was not Andrew. Um, but... Uh, but it being more mobile and, and getting into areas that that most people won't go, um, crossing that big deep ravine, um, getting across that you know deeper than average creek, um, and just getting back into places that a lot of people won't go, um, and places that maybe are even a little bit overlooked. Um, or having to go a different direction to get back to where you want to go. I've got, um, I've, well, I've got to ask, especially while you're talking about that, 
compared to like how you used to hunt, especially like when you're hunting, you know, hunting clubs and leases and stuff, which is very, very common. You know, more people do that than hunt publicly in a hundred percent, especially in the Southeast. Um, but has, have you enjoyed hunting more that you kind of get into like the public land thing or just got a little bit more kind of mobile, like a little bit, it's a little bit more of an adventure really going out there, trying different things compared to maybe what you had been doing like on hunting clubs. I mean, has it become a little bit more enjoyable? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a ball. Like I love going, um, I've gotten, I've actually gotten to take guys and let them kill their first deer. Um, take them to a spot and like, look, this is it. This is the spot. It's going to happen. Um, and then getting that text message an hour later or two hours later, you know, that they shot one. Mm -hmm. Um, that's actually happened to me on public land. Um, first year he's ever bow hunted and he made it happen. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's more of a, I don't know. It's just, it's like, you know, you know what? I did this. I went out here, found the sign found where they were living and I got it done. And it's like, and it, it, to me, it, it so beats and, and there's nothing wrong with going to a shooting house on a food plot, but man, it's just, I don't know. It's so rewarding to, to be able to go out onto public land and, 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 you know, just go find these deer on my own and then, and get it done. I mean, kill the deer. <laughs> yeah, it always felt like me, and maybe you can relate with this along with a lot of our listeners. You know, like most people, like myself, I grew up hunting, you know, hunting clubs, family leases. We have a small family farm as well uh, in Bibb County. And, you know, it always seemed like you were just waiting, whether you were bow hunting or you were, you know, hunting with a rifle during gun season, it always felt like you were just waiting on a deer to show up. Like it was like more of like a legit oh, yeah. waiting game. You're going to a specific spot, you're sitting there and whatever happens happens we're like when i feel like i'm on public okay. land i'm trying to make more i'm putting in i'm putting in more effort to put myself in a position where i'm going to get an opportunity at a deer uh instead of just right. you know and have a deer walk by me i'm trying to put myself in a position i feel like i do that more when you know i kind of have that freedom to really move around and i'm not just going to like a designated stand that we've hunted for 10 years 15 years exactly and it, yeah, more like kind of and not, I'm not really roll the dice, but more like make your own look. Um, you you put you put yourself in that in the higher odds. <clears throat> oh, exactly. You know, we've had, we've interviewed guys. Uh, one that comes to mind is uh, uh, Kevin Tolis, um, who has been extremely successful hunting uh, hunting clubs, high pressure hunting clubs, uh, by doing like what we're talking about, but on hunting clubs instead of like being like the average Joe who. Is he going to go hunt a greenfield, sit in the shooting house? Which, again, nothing wrong with that. Uh, but instead of doing that, you know, kind of going against the grain and, you know, getting a little bit more creative on access, hunting kind of overlooked spots, getting in areas that most guys aren't going to be willing to go, and taking the same approach you would on public land onto private and have extremely good success killing a lot of really big deer doing that uh, to the point where you actually get kicked out of clubs uh, because they don't have a spot for oh, you yeah. the next year. <laughs> so Yeah, all of a sudden all of a sudden that spot they had, no, it's not open anymore. Oh, man, I've heard that happen too many times with some of the guys we've interviewed that's just some killers. But, again, you can apply that same kind of mindset from, like, what we're talking about that's very enjoyable style of hunting onto, you know, a piece of private. You know, now it's different when you only have – 
four, five, six hundred acres compared to, you know, tens of thousands. Or even if you have, you know, a, a bigger club where you're, you know, you get multiple thousands of acres, uh, you know, that's a lot more to kind of work with than, you know, some of the smaller clubs. But again, you can be that kind of mobile style of hunting out there and, and have a lot of fun, you know, really exploring, putting boots on the ground and really reading sign. And that's what I wanted to ask you is, especially since maybe listening to the podcast, but maybe even before that, when you kind of transition to more hunting, kind of like the public land, how much did you learn to like start focusing on sign and the different types of sign to figure out really what is a good spot that is holding deer versus just an area that looks really pretty because it's nice hardwoods? I'll be honest, the pretty places, um, we I, even in our hunting clubs, a lot of our a lot of the areas that we hunted were clear cut. So, really, I was hunting, you know, uh, clear cut areas um, or select cut areas that were really thick. Well, when I was young, I always liked to go sit in the edge of the hardwoods where I could see forever down through the woods, and I always thought, man, it would just there's got to be a deer here. And a lot of times it would just never happen. Or if I saw a deer, it would be one lone doe, you know, all by herself, you know, and I would, I was never seeing the big deer. Um, and I grew up watching real tree and I never could figure out, uh, why it would just wouldn't happen, man. I'm doing everything they're doing. Why is it not happening? Um, and then, uh, my dad, really started doing it, um, hunting down in, down in the cutovers, um, to the point of where uh, with, even with a rifle, a 40 yard shot was few and far between. Um, you know, find that one giant oak tree out in the middle of a, of a cutover and climb the nails that were already in it from many years ago and hunting right there. Um, and then we like, and I know that kind of got, kind of went another direction with it, but, um, but hunting those cutovers and, and in that, those thickets getting away from, uh, the big pretty woods and, and getting into where the deer want to live and feel safe. Um, you know, letting them feel like they're, feel like it's okay to be in there but finding a way to find the deer you know find that spot in the spot exactly man spot on well dude let's get let's get into kind of this season and uh what kind of played out with uh these two bucks uh i remember when you sent your first photo over with that first buck you killed and uh, i believe you did you have your kids with you i did um, I actually had both of them with me, um, or actually had my two oldest with me. Mm-hmm. One's 12, one's eight. Um, I took them down. I took them with me. Um, both of them have gotten a, a little bit of a desire to start going. So I'm more than happy to take them. Um, you know, I want them to hunt as well and learn how to do it. Um, but you know, I mean, at 12 and eight, um, we lose some patience pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, you know, that, that struggle, but, uh, but still anytime they're, they're ready to go, I'm ready to take them. Um, but I took them down to, I call it one of my honey holes, but 
Um, it's a, it's a historical spot, but it's the spot within the spot. Um, because it's the deer just travel through there. Um, there's two big thickets, um, a maple thicket and then some old, uh, probably 25 year old cutover. Um, but it's still pretty thick down low. Um, and then to the left is a giant cedar thicket that spans, I don't even know how big that thing is. I would, it's so steep and rocky and nasty in there. I don't even want to walk through it. Um, like I call it goat country. It looks like you should be hunting mountain goats in it. Um, just because of all the rocks, but <clears throat> those deer travel through it and they have their routes that go through there and they feel safe in it and bed in it. Um, and we've just, we've always seen deer there. We've always seen bucks there. Um, especially in the rut, um, the does are living in those thickets. And so, um, I took my kids down there with me. It's a big, there's a, it's just a big wide oak flat. And, uh, I took them down there with me. Um, my son actually had his rifle and, uh, just the way we were, I had, we were set up for him to shoot and I thought they were going to come from, from one direction and they literally ended up coming from directly behind us. Um, this, this buck, um, would come out of the thicket. He walked through an open spot and, uh, he was fixing to drop off the mountain through. And even on the side of the mountain down there, um, there's some gaps that when they drop through those gaps, they're gone. They're they're like you won't have another shot after that. Well, he was fixing to to drop off that gap, and I picked a hole through all this thick vine cedar thicket, just nasty stuff, and um and shot him. And I shot him through a hole. It's probably as big around as a styrofoam plate at about eighty five yards through through this stuff. Um, basically, he stopped in a perfect spot, and I and I shot. Um, but I'll be honest, both of my kids were, they had no idea. Like I told the kid, I said, Hey deer. And I think that they said they saw him, but it was just, it had to have just been glimpses of them because both of my kids were on the ground and I had put my saddle platform about knee high off the ground and then just hung my tether right above it. So I was above them a little bit where I could see a little bit more down the mountain. And, uh, and I think, I think Ethan was a little upset that I pulled the trigger on it, but, um, but that buck was fixing to be gone. And down there, you just, if you get a shot at at one, you, you got to make it count because you may not get the shot again. Um, they've got such a big area that they can travel. Um, and never run into a road of any kind, whether it be a logging road or what. Um, there's just, there's no access in there and it's all walking. So, uh, it made for a, uh, made for a pretty, pretty tough time getting them out. Oh, dude, it sounds like it. I mean, and the cool thing about that is like, you're right between, it sounds like a, a fantastic travel corridor, you know, got some real steep country, real got rocky country, you know, some two big real thickets and just a perfect travel corridor in between them that they're kind of cruising down and, and just, you know, covering ground. 
And one thing that we've uh, – I know our buddy Michael Pike um, – has talked about and a lot of our other guests is you know how some of these bucks will use like like the steeper part of the terrain in the area to travel you know they're not going to walk on the flat top ridges and they're not going to walk down the bottoms they're going to try to you know walk that steep face uh where sometimes the does won't necessarily do that uh but it sounds like that area is just a wicked area man where you just got some really cool travel corridors and you just got to make it happen which hey you know uh, your son was that was that your your son's 12 is that what you were saying yeah, he is. So, man, I'll tell you one thing. Hopefully, maybe he'll learn from that experience, kind of from what happened with you, and uh, be quick on the gun and, and again, have a, a very sharp eye because, man, hunting those spots like that can be frustrating, especially for a kid, too, that's not used to, like, you know, having the, the muscle memory of, you know, that buck comes out. you got to kill it quick. Um, yeah, so. um, and that's one of those – and that's one of those places that just – it can be really frustrating hunting it because it's so thick in there that um really the furthest the you can you can't in any direction other than up the mountain which is really cheating because it's you can't really see up there you can just see the wall of gray just thick that's up through there um now if somebody walked down through there in orange you could probably pick them out but um it would be, I mean, you'd catch glimpses of orange. It wouldn't be just, well, here they come. Um, but any to left and right and down the mountain, the furthest you can see maybe is a hundred yards. And you, but you can't shoot a hundred yards. Um, it was right at eighty to where that buck was laying, where he died, um, and he ran about ten yards mm. and fell over. Wow. Well, so you, you took that deer, uh, which kind of like kicked off, kicked everything off. Um, you know, talk a little bit more about the second deer. I know you talked about it, you know, briefly earlier, but like, you know, what kind of played factors into the second buck for the setup with the wind and everything else? You know, what kind of caused you to go in there? Because you messaged me uh, on, I, I think I think it was Instagram, saying that like you had heard something like, hey, I know exactly where I'm going to go. You went in there and you shot the deer. Walk us through that. Like, what did you kind of pick up that like made you like, hey, I want to go hunt this spot? Um, I found, I found a place on the map. Um, I had never been to this area. Um, but just doing a little bit of e-scouting one night, um, staring at Onyx and I know that's not y'all's favorite. And I'll be honest, some of the topo lines on there are pretty deceiving. Um, they're not going to show you just how steep something really is. Um, a lot of times, but, um, it's still, I use the crap out of it. Um, but this, uh, this one spot just seemed to be, you could tell that there was some, some kind of big terrain feature and then a bluff gap right off the backside of it. Um, and unbeknownst to me, um, at that time, these deer, uh, are traveling through this bluff gap, but there's a steep ravine on three sides and then private on the other side. So you're kind of your own public, um, plenty, plenty far, but without giving away too much, it's not an easy place to get to. And there's no good way to get there. Um, there's just a better way than any other way. 
um, where the just kind of where the ravine's not as it's not as daunting um, because I, I mean I, I can I can send you some pictures of this of this uh, ravine I guess what I'm calling it it's a big deep holler and it's probably um, you have to kind of walk around the long way and then walk back um, to where you want to be. Uh, but it's, um, very difficult to get to, to say the least. Um, I think, uh, I think uh, a mutual friend of ours, Tyler Malone, um, I think he has, uh, I think he may have, he, he may be kind of familiar with the area, but, uh, I think I'm, I think I'm a little further back than what he was, um, but it it's when I picked it out on the map, it was just because of the terrain features. Then when I got up there, I found probably a five to seven acre just beech tree thicket, and it's just there are so many beech trees in there, and you can't like I mean you can't walk without making noise because of them. Um, but there is a an old logging road that runs that runs up the side of that ravine and then out on top. And I followed that around, and it's where the beech trees run into a huge, like, hardwood area, like uh, red oaks, white oaks, and the ground is just thick with green briar, um, some of it six to eight feet tall, some of it waist high, um, and every bit of it is nipped off. Um, they're feeding on that stuff. Like, I mean, they're just, I don't know how it's not all dead, but, um, they're coming in and out of that, uh, in and out of the beach, beach tree thicket and you, and traveling through those, through all that green briar. And then they're using the, the high, high side of the, of a saddle that's, that butts up against the bluff gap. So you've got the cover in the beech trees and food in the beech trees along with food and cover in the greenbrier. And then it, it's all right up against a a saddle and a bluff gap that runs off the side of the mountain where uh, it's really steep on two sides and it flattens out a little bit through the middle and then it drops down to a big wide uh, oak flat down off down further down in the in the valley so super compound so yeah it was a super compounding yeah, area and i remember you you message you message us and you're like something clicked you're like i like you're like i know where i was gonna go you went in you set up and that was that a morning hunt or evening hunt that you hunted well um uh it was actually a morning hunt but um I let it break day before I went in. Um, I went in and I let it break day. Um, I was probably 300 yards, two or 300 yards from where I wanted to be. Um, but I wanted to make sure I was being as quiet as possible. But on my walk in, in that uh, logging road, there were rubs, scrapes. I mean, it was, I mean, it was tore up. And, at the time, uh, there it was still, you know, peak rut for that area. 
And so when I walked in, I walked in and was finding all these scrapes on the logging road and stuff like that. And I'll be honest with you, I've kind of learned to just, yeah, that's a good sign, but keep, keep moving. Um, and another thing that I look for, and this may be completely bonkers and I may prove myself wrong next year. Um, but when you find those places where the leaves are not as crunchy because of how much deer activity there has been in, in there, um, when you're finding tracks in bare dirt in the middle of a hardwood, like a, a big area of hardwoods, oak trees, and literally you can walk on dry leaves and they don't just, they doesn't sound like you're just grabbing a whole bag of Rice Krispies. Um, you know, I could tell that there was a lot of foot traffic through there. And so that kind of triggered me to, to, you know, I need to be in this area. Interesting. So you, you go in, man, you have success. You, you the, the spot that you're talking about, the way you're describing it, it sounds like it just has a whole bunch of compounding habitat edges from like the green bars, the hardwoods to like the beach thickets. You've got the steep drainage. You've got, um, you know, kind of like a, I think you talked about a saddle in there as well. You know, it sounds like there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's two ridges that run off the side of the mountain, like just little small finger ridges. Mm-hmm. And when they, when they go out to the edge to drop off into that ravine, they, they literally bluff out. Um, and then, but in the middle, they, uh, it's, it's a lot more shallow. Like it's not as, not near as steep. You found this area and, and kind of decided to go in there just based off what you saw on the maps. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was really a shot in the dark. Um, just looking for a new spot, um, something new to stare at for a while. Awesome, yeah, dude. Th- those are some of the best things ever when when you can put it together with the maps and uh, and you can really find something. You go in there, and to me, that gives me way more confidence because I've done that. I've done that quite a few times, where you you go strictly off a map and you go into a spot. Actually, two uh, one area in Tennessee that I've hunted for uh, going on four seasons now. Uh, the the first year I hunted it, did the same thing where I was like, man, this spot looks so good on the map, and it was real far back in there. Dude, I had to walk through a hellhole to get back there. Uh, just a, right at a mile, and a, one and one mile, one, one almost a one and a half miles going back in, and uh, had the biggest buck I've ever seen on public land come by me at 45 yards, and I just screw up with a rifle. I uh, didn't even get a shot off him, and he and he was a giant. And there's a few guys I've talked to that. No, it's truly how big that deer is. Um, and then did the same thing uh, on another part of the same parcel the following year with my bow and went in blind. And just on habitat edges, terrain features, compounding features, all in one area, and had another giant deer come by at 25 yards when I was playing on my phone. And I had my bow in one hand and my phone in the other. And uh, just screwed the pooch on that deer as well. But it's like when you f- do that, it gives you to me. It gives me so much confidence. Like okay, I can put this together and find good deer. Um, but it's like how to be consistent with it. And you know, it sounds like you found a really good area that's you know not only going to be good to hunt in the future, but also maybe. And this is what I've talked to a lot of guys is you find that one area that has everything, 
and then you try to map, remap that spot out in another place of public land. Like, look for something that's similar, that has, like, the diversity, the train habitat, the thick cover, uh, you know, the tight funnels. And where can you find something that looks similar to that somewhere else out there in the public land so you have multiple areas that's very similar that you can bounce around from? And that can be very challenging, but also in the area that you're in, you know, maybe that's something that, uh, that could really play a factor for years to come. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've actually got a couple of places that, that have compounding features with, you know, big thickets, big pine thickets that sit right on the edge of hardwoods. Um, kind of an overlooked little area um, to look at it from the access point. You would look at it and say, there's no way I'm going in through that. But if you walk to the top of the ridge, there's multiple trails, finger ridges that are off the backside. <clears throat> that you know that these deer are holding up in and they're just not bothered um because nobody's going up there mm-hmm. exactly well awesome well matt man listen uh um congratulations again dude on having a pretty awesome year having knocked some good deer down we got a little we got a little season left but not, but not much um but man I, i'm glad we were able to get you on uh, as a listener success story to wrap up this season for us um and, dude, again, uh, you know, also congratulations on getting that last year on camera. Dude, that is such an accomplishment, especially as a self-filmer. On public land, man, kind of DIY and, and uh, getting the shot and everything on camera, it's awesome. So um, anybody out there that wants to check out that footage, you can go over to your YouTube channel, man, check that out. That would be really, really cool. And, uh, man, this again, thanks again for coming on, and uh, best of luck to you, especially – I don't know if you're a turkey hunter, man, but, listen, I'm already – my mind's already switched – after the episode we just recorded a couple of days ago uh, for turkey season, uh, I am all fired up for this spring. I'll be honest, uh, I've I've only been turkey hunting probably 15 times in my whole life. Um, I'm trying to teach myself how to do it, so um, may uh, I may have to check that one out too and see if I can get some pick up some tricks on turkey hunting. Dude, uh, Monday's episode, brother. Monday's episode. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a good one, guys. Right. Anyone that's listening right now, if you, if you if you if you're if you're if you haven't flipped the switch yet to kind of think about turkey hunting, uh, which you know we're still in the mindset of deer hunting, especially with postseason scouting coming up. But man, Monday's episode is gonna be fantastic, especially for uh, anybody out there that's hunting public land for birds for uh, for turkeys. But hey, I'll tell you one thing: you need to reach out to old Tyler Malone and uh, and let him drag you around up there in those mountains do for some turkeys. He he just got in turkey hunting not too long ago, but, man, he is beyond fired up and probably one of the most passionate dudes I've ever met uh, that's, you know, still <laughs> fairly green at it. But, dude, he gets after him, man. So, uh, be a good guy to run well, around got, the woods with. I got cl- I got close last year, just wasn't able to seal the deal. Um, I had one at about 65 yards, and uh, it was just one of those days the wind was blowing and, he got to a place where he could see where that hen was supposed to be, but uh, she wasn't there. She wasn't showing her head, and um, he didn't like it, so he just turned and went the other way. Any Anybody that's listening right now that wants to start tuning into turkey content, we have a, almost three years' worth of it uh, kind of cataloged on the podcast. You need to look up our episode that we've done with Scott Ellis, and he talks about hiding the hen. That is a very interesting tactic that, especially if you're in big wood situations, can play a factor to you know having a turkey hang up at 70 yards from you versus having that turkey pop up at 35 yards and blowing his head off 
Um, so yeah, oh, yeah, the whole topic of hiding the hens very fascinating. But but uh, Matt, man, I did. I <laughs> we could talk about turkeys all night, brother. But listen, I appreciate you coming on, brother. Sharing your experiences, uh, sharing what you kind of learned from the show and applied. And uh, dude, this uh, again, thanks for coming on, brother. All right, man, I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good night. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. You guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case maybe and like i said we get a lot of questions on how do you find you know a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections the mobile hunters expo is the place to do that y'all heard us talk about it last year and guess what this year it's happening in dalton georgia we're gonna be there june 28th through the 30th we're gonna be there all three days we're gonna have a booth you can come talk to us we talked to a lot of you guys last year had a ton of fun so looking forward to that again but guys i'm telling you this is the place to come network and there's gonna be a ton of you guys there a lot of southern outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.